This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Total Saints Podcast, the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. It's been another busy week for Saints, with players leaving the club, ambassadors being confirmed, fans forum in advance commas being communicated, Premier League fixtures being played and FA Cup draws. Reflecting on most, if not all of that, is Steve, Adam and myself, Ben. Evening, Steve. Hiya, you alright? Very good, thanks. Yeah, Evening, Adam. Evening, evening all. Good, that's the introductions done. Yeah, that was really nice, wasn't it? <laughs> we'll chat through the key talking points whilst also looking ahead to what is and uh, potentially is around the corner for Saints. We'll also have our latest Total Recall, which isn't a game this week, but instead recalling and speaking to a special guest. If you remember Radio Solent in the early to mid-90s, then you should enjoy it very much. As former sports editor Grant Coleman is with us, more on that later. We've had a new TSP patron sign up to support via uh, patreon.com this week as well. So a big shout out to Chris, a saint in London, and very much appreciate your uh, support, Chris. Thanks for doing that. If, like Chris, you have uh, any interest in supporting the podcast through Patreon, then you can find out some more details at patreon.com slash totalsaintspod. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Right, let's get on with the podcast. There's a lot to get through. It's episode 60 in partnership with saintsworld.co.uk and saintsarchive.com and sponsored for 2018-19 by happyhottubs.co.uk. Happyhottubs.co.uk At Happy Hot Tubs, we specialise in hot tubs. It's all we've done for 35 years. So if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone, then we're the place for honest, clear and friendly advice. Plus, right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs, meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments. 
You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit happyhottubs.co.uk. Happyhottubs.co.uk. 0% excludes free throw range. Saints' latest Premier League game saw them at the King Power Stadium to face Leicester City with the result ending in a fantastic 2-1 win to Saints. Adam, I have to say, we've given the uh, the team a lot of grief over the uh, the podcast of the last 12 to 18 months, so I think it's important we uh, get right down to it and absolutely congratulate them for a fantastically committed performance and, uh, I guess, more importantly, a result as well. Well, it was, a, it was a really great day. It was a really excellent day for them. It was uh, Obviously, it was tough um, with, with the way the game went and with Valerie uh, going as well, but I, I think, actually, they were looking pretty good. Anyway, I think that they might well have run out winners regardless. Um, without having to put in such a, a rearguard action, it might have been a much more comfortable win. But they were uh, they were excellent. I mean, it was it was kind of everything that a fan could ask from from a team. You know, it was gritty, it was steely, it was determined, it was backs to the wall stuff away from home. Um, it was it was just exactly what what they needed um and as i mean we've been talked about it on the pod and actually ralph brought it up in the post-match uh presser as well that he was relieved that finally they'd managed to sort of marry together uh good defensive work and actually scoring goals at the same time rather than either doing one or the other so Mm. um just a really really fantastic win for them and and a, a massive uh confidence booster um and a and a real platform to build from and also i think uh as well, given the number of injuries and suspensions that they had, um, again, as I've said before, I think that Ralph is kind of settling on this this sort of what I call this this two twofold policy that he's kind of got: keep them up, and in keeping them up, we'll do what we have to do. Um, and you know, the, the kind of football that he was um, explaining that he would bring, we, we're not seeing, frankly, but that's because I think number one is do what they've got to do to keep them up. And then number two will be the, the revolution in the summer and, and Ralph um, changing things around massively and trying to really implement all of his ideas uh, in, in, you know, with the players that he wants to do it. And with this result, it gives them a tremendous springboard now to, to really capitalize in a decent run of fixtures that they've got now. Um, and if they do that, and if the, the next uh, three or four weeks go well, then the table will be looking an awful lot healthier than it has done for some time, which will be great. You called it a potentially very significant weekend for uh, Saints, Adam. What did you mean by that? Well, what I meant by that was that, um, well, I guess there's several things, several layers to it, but with other teams uh, playing against each other from from in and around Saints, uh, you know, taking points off each other, as it were, and then uh, Saints winning... It, uh, it was it was just huge. They got out of the bottom three on a weekend where you if the if things would have gone the other way, they actually would have been looked quite cut adrift potentially in the you know in the in the bottom three, bottom four, um, and that that would have been a very very concerning moment I think for them um, because the pressure then would have really have gone onto them in those in those games the the Crystal Palace uh, Burnley Cardiff game. Uh, games they've got coming up obviously they're going to need points out of those they're going to need to win some of them anyway but I think had they got to the situation that could have occurred um, pre-match at Leicester when you looked at the table with the way the other fixtures were they might have been in a position where they were going to have to go out and do something like win all of those games Mm. uh, or or potentially look like they were going to go down with a bit to spare bit of the season to spare I think that's kind of 
the potential there. Um, so to see other teams uh, lose, you know, take, having their winnable games uh, against each other chalked off while you go to a very difficult place, win, have a huge confidence booster for, for your own belief in that you're going to be able to get yourself out of this, send a real signal to everybody else that, that you're you're in it, you mean business, to have the confidence boost for the players and kind of the way that Ralph is doing things, the way he's instructing them to do it, um, and then the end result with, with the table, to actually climb out of the bottom of three on a weekend when you, you could have got cut adrift. I just think that in terms of the significance for the season, in, in all of those elements, this could be absolutely massive for them. Adam uh, mentioned it there, Stephen. It's been well publicised. Um, maybe how uh, thin Saints were in terms of numbers. I, I wrote down a list yesterday when I was preparing for this. Um, you know, you got Hoiberg and Austin suspended. You have Yoshida away at the uh, Asian Cup. You got Bertrand Ings and Obafemi out injured. You've sold Stephen Davis and Gabby Adini. So, in a thin squad that has failed to deliver much, that's quite a significant list of absentees. I think we probably all agree. So, from your point of view, Steve, does that make the the performance and result at Leicester maybe even more impressive? Uh, it does, um, but it also kind of illustrates the fact that actually we have had a relatively good squad of players at the club for some time, and I don't know whether whether actually yesterday's performance possibly illustrates the sort of underachievement and the and the fact that certain people have allowed us to get into this situation where we've kind of drifted into this sort of basement struggle um, when really we. We shouldn't really be anywhere near that. And as yesterday's performance showed, we're a side that can compete with um, with good teams in this league. Leicester are no mugs. In, like in the last three weeks, they've they've won away at Stamford Bridge. They've beaten Man City. Mm. Um, also taken Man City to penalties in the League Cup. They're absolutely no mugs. I mean, I think coming up against a side who played... I mean, I think we, we kind of went in with a with an idea that we're going to sit deep and try and hit them on the counter-attack, which I think makes sense with the players that Leicester have got at their disposal. And it meant that, that we didn't give them um, the space in behind that would have suited Vardy. Mm. I mean, it came to something, I think Vardy knocked the ball out of play, sort of overran the ball with about a minute of injury time to go. And I thought, hang on, that's Jamie Vardy. I completely forgot he was even on the pitch. <laughs> um, such was the sort of, lack of effectiveness of of, um, of Leicester's sort of normal game. Mm. And they were trying to put the ball out wide and swing crosses in, but we've got three massive centre-halves. I mean, I know Stevens doesn't win an awful lot in the air, but Bednarek and Vestergaard just won everything. And it's interesting to sort of see how players who were sort of on the fringes of things under previous managers, I mean, Bednarek, prime example, mm. um, wore Prowse to a maybe le- maybe slightly lesser extent. Because um, I think Be- I mean, Bednarek was one of our one of our key players in the run-in last season. Yep. And yet, suddenly, come the start of the season, he's out in the cold again. It's like, well, where's this come from? What's the, what's the justification for that? Mm. Um, Ward Prowse, I think, has drifted a little bit partly through the changing of managers, changing of systems, possibly not suiting his style, but part of it's got to be um, got to be kind of self-inflicted, I think. And the fact that um, Ralph has clearly, clearly got a hold of him, got into his head and said, look, you've got the ability, but this is what you need to do in order to kind of use that ability to the effective for both yourself and the team. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, based on the last what three or four games that he's played, 
something seems to have clicked there. Mm. It was a great team performance. I think we're all agreed on that. I just wanted to pick out a, a couple of people, and, and you, you guys may have a different view on uh, a couple of others as well. But uh, you mentioned Jan Bednarek there, Steve. I, I think you know lots of us looking from the, the sort of outside in at the team have, have been wondering where he's been for this season, as you mentioned. But the last sort of five or six games after Hasenhutl, he's you know he's probably been our best centre back. And and again, a fantastic performance yesterday, capped by that brilliant goal line clearance. You know he's someone that's really starting to to show that he can become a, a really good regular Premier League player yeah um, and I don't think it's come as a particular surprise to people because he was still he was showing this at the back end of last season when there weren't any performances that would even come close really to matching yesterday's but we looked a lot more solid and or at least weren't making so many brain dead mistakes as we were probably sort of in the period before Hughes came in Mm. I guess Um, yeah so someone someone like him it does it does make you wonder what was being seen on the training ground by I mean certainly Hughes and and his and his staff, but also um Pellegrino back in back in the early part of last season. I guess most Saints fans the only kind of outing they saw from uh, from Bednarek for the first what, seven or eight months of last season was him getting um, torn a new one by Wolves um, Reserves. Yeah. But they're all fast players. And you then kind of saw saw that performance put into a little bit of context in the next round, where they basically sent the same eleven out away at Man City and, and took them to penalties. Yeah. So I guess people kind of got this early impression that Bednarek was going to be another sort of Florin Gardos type, um, not quite going to cut it um, type player. And I mean, hindsight is is proving that to have to have been an unfair judgment on our part. I think. Mm. The second player, Adam, calls Shane Long. He's taken a lot of stick from fans and, uh, you know, been the, the butt of many jokes, I think, between us uh, the last um, 12, 18 months as well. But again, you know, someone that I think we all appreciate does give 100%. He, you know, he got his game yesterday because there wasn't really any other options. But thankfully for him, for, for the club, it was a goal. It was a winning goal as well. And reward for all of his hard work and, I guess, persistence. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I must admit, I haven't given him uh, a lot of stick. I mean, he's I've always uh, praised his... His running, obviously, the problem that he's had is is scoring goals, and he plays up front, and therefore you get judged with that. But obviously, he adds um, potentially a lot more to you. And, and yesterday was a was kind of a typical Shane Long all round performance because I think Saints defended uh, defended very well as a team, um, and Long is key to that. I mean, you've only got to look at. Um, the number of really, really cheap free kicks that he wins. I mean, it is, it is extraordinary. I mean, he, he just buys them. Yep. And you look at players and you think, don't, don't, you know, he sort of just waits that fraction of a second, just that fraction of a second, knowing that there's going to be just minimal contact and he'll go down mm. like he's been, you know, like he's been poleaxed. And, uh, and you buy yourself a team of cheap free kick, you relieve a bit of pressure. He does that so many times, you know, when he's trying to hold the ball up, he'll chase for you tirelessly. And and obviously he got a goal. I mean, um, I think there was there was a but I, I haven't seen the replay again. I mean, there was a bit of a debate in the press room because I think one of the angles uh, from behind his shoulder certainly suggested it, it was probably actually an own goal because it might not have been on target until Schmeichel touched it. But I think for his persistence and, and hard work um, and just to keep on going when it, you know he's had a lot of flack from a lot of people, I think he deserves 
um, something. He deserves a, a bit of a break to go his mate or his way, and maybe this is it. And you always say with strikers, you know, it's amazing when you get one goal that more follows, and, and maybe that'll be the case with him. I guess the only misfortune he may have is to have run into a you know a goal a goal scoring match uh, at just the time that Danny Ings is going to uh, return again. So I guess that that might curtail his chances, but at the very least. I think he's shown to Ralph Harsenhut to what he's about. And whilst Ralph is just looking at players and assessing them for the long term, I think he's at least staked his claim um, to continue to be an important member of the squad. And I think that's a that's a big thing for him going forward. Because I would have said there was there was no um, no certainty of that happening before for any player. So it was good for him. And one other performance, Oriol Romeu, I mm. think. Uh, Deserves massive credit. I thought he was an absolute warrior for Saints. Absolute warrior in that uh, just destructive, dirty central midfield position. I mean, it, it, even before Valerie sending off, I mean, they were playing so much in that little narrow zone, Leicester, and, and sort of trying to bring Madison into the game in central areas. And time and again, Romeo was there. And then when he was when it was really needed for him to roll up his sleeves and dig in. Uh, he offered absolutely wonderful protection in those central areas. I, I don't think Saints could have possibly have predicted Leicester would play so much into their hands in the second half because you just think, you know, the, what are you always told, even as a boy, if you're playing 10 men, just get the ball out wide. Get it deep out wide. Run at people. Especially if you've got people with pace, just run down the wings. Try and get to the byline. Try and get balls into the box. As whereas Leicester appeared d- determined to funnel all play through the middle of the pitch where Southampton had all 11 players, mm. um, which was great for Southampton's point of view, or just chip aimless uh, crosses from deep uh, into the centre where Southampton have got three massive centre-halves and, and Leicester just had Jamie Vardy. Uh, very, very odd tactics, but nonetheless, Saints did a great job in breaking them down and I thought Romeo was fantastic at just you know, ferreting around in that area in front of the defence and just breaking up so much play I think the whip that Shane Long put on it it was definitely going in Adam 100% if uh, Schmeichel uh, had touched it or not on, on, on the I'm happy wink. to give it to yeah, you yeah wink wink nudge nudge um, but uh, there we go um, look, I have to say um, and I know I pinged you when uh, the team sort of came out my, my immediate thought when I saw it was that it it looked quite a, a weak lineup. There wasn't a lot of, um, you know, experience in there. We we know that they were obviously thin on the ground. And one one of the positions that probably caught a lot of our attention was in goal with Angus Gunn. I don't want to say dropped, but maybe be replaced by uh, Alex McCarthy, uh, despite keeping a clean sheet at Chelsea. I, you know, I guess reflecting on that maybe after the game and this morning, I I, I wondered. I don't know if you know any more about this, Adam, whether he maybe felt that with Target coming back in and Valerie and losing the experience of Yoshida, it was quite a young and inexperienced back five. So did he feel that McCarthy having a bit more experience than Angus Gunn could make the difference back there? I don't know if that was one of his thoughts or not. Well, maybe, but I mean, I, to be honest with you, I think we, I think it was actually, there's not many team selections that happened that I would say, for me anyway, are a genuine surprise. Because you, you normally, I normally kind of have got a, you know, a reasonable inkling, but you know, before when I'm going to the game on the day as to roughly what the team's going to be, um, and you know, and the odd bits and pieces you don't know, it's pretty easy to piece together and, and sort of second guess. But I have to say, I was genuinely surprised by this. Mm. I was actually genuinely like, oh, blimey! So I've had a double take um, because uh, what was interesting was on um, Thursday in the pre-match press conference with us all having perhaps complacently, I guess, assumed that Angus Gunn was now the, the, the new number one. Um, 
Hasenhutl was asked, is, is he now your new number one? You know, have you decided now then between the two who's your number one? And he just smiled and said and laughed and said, yes, I have decided who the number one is, but I'm not going to tell you right now, <laughs> as in you're going to have to wait till Saturday to find out, basically. And then McCarthy's in. You think, oh, so he's taking a look at Gunn for a couple of games, as he said he was going to, and has perhaps decided he prefers McCarthy, mm. which I think was probably... Um, a bit of a surprise to us all because Gunn hadn't really done all that much wrong and they obviously wanted to get him in. But maybe it could be about many, many different matters. But I'm sure potentially experience in a not necessarily with a with a young defence pass, but in a difficult situation. Yeah. Um, McCarthy's sort of extra years, extra games, extra maturity maybe has kind of, you know, won in the day. Uh, for the time being, he didn't have a lot to do, to be completely honest, against Leicester, but he was pretty solid in, in everything he did have to do. Mm. Um, and I guess we now assume, though we don't know, uh, I guess there may be more from Harsen Hutter on this this week, but that McCarthy is going to be the number one choice for, for the foreseeable future. There you go. And uh, a right back then, Steve, Jan Valerie. Um, I guess it's important that young players learn from their mistakes I, I think we uh, we all agree that he looks a, a really good talent for for the future and performed really well up to today but I, I guess maybe some naivety in the, the two yellow cards yesterday particularly the second one well I actually thought he was a little bit lucky not to be sent off for the one that he got booked for he did go over the top in the, of it, in the, in the yeah. first place and and that was why that was why Chilwell was so um, sort of reacted and got involved and there was all that sort of handbags afterwards because yeah I mean, he went over the top and could have been could have been quite quite nasty that one mm. um but yeah i mean one, once you once you've then had the booking you can't go and sort of pull pull the guy back like he did um for the second one and yeah I mean, it's, it's a little bit of naivety a little bit of um a little bit of inexperience um although i mean let's face it we've seen plenty of experienced uh, defenders um pull that sort of stunt before haven't we yeah. um mentioning no um portuguese center half uh, Euro- uh european championship winning uh, players for example <laughs> um but yeah i mean i actually thought that in the first half it, that was probably his best performance in terms of an from an attacking perspective mm. um there were there were so many occasions where where we won the ball back and he was got himself into into excellent positions um, on the right flank, sort of ghosting in behind uh, Chilwell, who obviously wanted to to go forward a lot more than than he wanted to go back. Yeah. And the problem was that a lot of the time, I think, I mean, largely because we don't really have, well, we don't have a left-footed midfielder, mm. um, so nobody could kind of make that switch quickly. But we never quite managed to get the ball out to him um, often enough, I didn't think, for um, for the amount of space that they were giving us on, on that side. Um, Target, I think, they're a lot better at, at doing that. Cause, I mean, ultimately, I think um, Ricardo Pereira is just a just generally a, a better player. But, yeah, I, mean, I, I thought, I mean, despite, obviously, the, the red card, there was... There was actually more promise shown, I think, from him in that 45 minutes than possibly in any of the other games he's played. Mm. I mean, the the ones where he got rave reviews against like Arsenal and, and Man United, um, in those games he was they didn't put the ball down that down his flank for him mm. for him to actually have anything to deal with. Leicester, they you know that Chilwell is a is a key attacking player for them, and he largely dealt with him for uh, for the most part in that in that 45 minutes. I think um, I was just going to say on that. I think that is is probably a learning curve for him, and 
Um, I, I totally agree with Steve. I think that he was he was probably fairly lucky to uh, stay on the pitch after the first challenge. Mm. So the second one, there was there was no doubt. I think Ralph said after the game when I asked him about it actually that um, oh I, I, yeah he said basically I think the referee could have kind of just given him a warning uh, you know as he'd already been booked. But I think the referee probably was weighing up whether to give him a red for the first one. So I think once once he hadn't, it was inevitable. But I think that the problem for the Valerie's got, maybe it's a bit of an experience here, um, but he keeps on getting himself booked a bit cheaply early in games. Yep. Um, Cardiff, I think he's 28 minutes. He got booked again, you know, bringing down Murphy. Then you're under massive pressure as a wide player um, when you've got a winger up against you. And of course they hauled him off at half time. Um, Huddersfield, he got booked not early necessarily, but it was only literally just after the start of the second half. So then you're having to play the whole game um, and they got worried he was going to you know, get sent off there. So they had to bring him off there as well. Yep. Um, had he not got sent off and he and he had just been given a warning, um, Ralph said yesterday he would have taken him off. Uh, so you can't have a you can't have a player that is kind of a liability like that, who you think I might have to take off at half time um regardless because they they might not stay on the pitch and he's not a dirty player at all so i can only assume it's a little bit of uh inexperience but obviously the difficulty he's going to have potentially is that teams are going to target that now when they know he's in there they're going to put a pacey winger on him they're going to try and get him in trouble early on um because they think that this will happen or they could force saints into having to make an early substitution uh to keep 11 men on the pitch so it's something that he's going to have to deal with more and more so hopefully Ralph can can work through that with him he's only played a handful of games hasn't he Adam so as you say you, oh, you yeah. hope that between it's him it's a learning curve yeah exactly yeah. exactly so hopefully you know if he's still doing it a season season and a half time you've got to, to wonder what's going on between the years but as you say at the moment hopefully that's something that uh, he can get better with um, I don't want to end on this I want to make sure we end talking positively about Saints Steve but I know you're an England fan so speaking of yellow cards or maybe a lack of them in this instance I just wanted to pick up on the uh, well publicised Jamie Vine Hardy died because uh, we know he has a, a habit of doing that and uh, again you know tried to, to cheat to win a penalty against uh, Jack Stevens, who thankfully took his leg away and it was pretty obvious that it was a dive and you know there's there's been a lot made about it because there wasn't a penalty given there wasn't a yellow card given I believe um, if I've uh, heard correctly that because there wasn't a penalty given and he has effectively deceived the referee that there is now no retrospective action but players like him players like Mohamed Salah that do that a lot to to win decisions you know how frustrating is it for fans that want to see diving stamped out of the game when top players in the top league in the world are continually diving every week and getting away with it um it's frustrating but at the same time it's very difficult um for referees to judge in that instance whether it's a case of it's definitely a dive. He's definitely trying to con me or whether it's just, it's just not a foul. I mean, that the, the Vardy one yesterday, I mean, obviously the, the away end is, is about as far from that instant as it could possibly be. So difficult to tell. And I mean, from what, from what I could see from there was that he didn't, um, he didn't appeal for anything. There was no sort of getting up quickly, getting in the face of the referee saying, why have you not given me a penalty for this? And, and all of that. So I think that's probably because he knew the dive was that bad. Well, I mean, he I did. He, he, when he sat on the floor, he does put his hands up in the air just briefly to sort of say, you know, come on, he's brought me down. Then I think he thought better of it. But uh, again, the point is, you know, he's, he's someone that does it a lot. You know, there's other players that do it a, a but lot. And... You can't but you can't just referee games based on, oh, this person, this person dives occasionally. Therefore, 
I'm going to book him every time mm. because that because then it it just becomes a complete farce because then someone's going to basically just boot him up in the air and he'll go down and and the referee will say no you you dive all the time therefore you get a yellow card. I, th- I think the thing is it's it's like a lot of things that we talk about in football it's the inconsistency isn't it? I think that's what gets us as fans because uh, you know mm. Saints Saints have done it this season we saw Hoiberg sent off quite rightly I think uh, you know against the same opposition so I guess it's just when the shoes on the other foot you get frustrated that something like that I'm not saying he should have been sent off obviously but you know a yellow card and it's pretty mm. obvious and I think even people like Gary Lineker on match of the day who's a Leicester fan are picking up on it so as I say I think it's just you know that sort of instance maybe, maybe it's something i don't know is that the sort of thing that var might help them with going forward or is that something that it, they it would... should yeah i mean var would definitely be used in those sort of situations um i mean certainly in terms of was it a penalty or was it not whether then there is the scope for the video referee to say to the referee no there's absolutely no contact and he's clearly um clearly gone down um dishonestly mm. i don't i don't know whether its powers would extend that far um possibly i guess um but it'd be interesting actually to know how many bookings have actually been given out this season for dives yeah because i mean you you obviously had the one at chelsea a couple like a week or so ago um which actually feels like a lifetime ago (laughs) um where alonso goes down he's clearly thrown himself to the floor yeah and the refs just decided no i'm just not i'm just not going to make a decision Mm. um and i think that's more frustrating if the referee makes a decision and gets it wrong then okay people make mistakes and then once you've got var in place as we will have next season that can be addressed whereas the referee just not making a decision he's just he's just bottling it he just can't be bothered yeah. can't be bothered with the hassle of any fallout if he gets it wrong it's like well your, your job is literally there to to adjudicate Exactly. I think the only one I can remember, and this is the last point on it really, but uh, I think the only one I can remember is Omar Niassi of uh, Everton when he dived at Crystal Palace and won the penalty. That's the only one I can remember in about... Well, 12, he's, the, he's 12, the only, he's one, the only one that's been, been retrospectively done. Exactly, which just shows, you know, that they haven't really got any interest in it. But there we go. Look, moving on then. Um, just reflecting on Ralph and Saints then, Adam, um, the, the, the sort of 15 games under Mark Hughes. So if we set Cardiff to one side, 15 games under Mark Hughes, 1-1, drawn 6, lost 8, score 13, let in 29, 9 points. The six games are under Ralph, so that's, as I say, without the Cardiff game, 1-3, drawn 1, lost 2, scored 10, 9 against and 10 points. So he's already won three games to, to Hughes' one. He's, you know, got one more point than, than Mark Hughes. Um, we we did hope that there was going to be a bounce effect, and uh, the early indications are after six seven games that you know Saints have got a bit of positive momentum behind them now. It definitely uh, definitely seems like that, doesn't it? And uh, yeah, I I, th- I think you're you're perhaps being a little bit generous because I do think you have to include the Cardiff game on Ralph's stats. I I know he hadn't been there long, but while the Tottenham game clearly wasn't his, even though he technically been appointed as manager that day, I think the Cardiff game probably does go down as his. But nonetheless, it has been uh, a fantastic. Yeah, fantastic start. And yeah, there is there is a bounce factor because I think part of the bounce factor is not just uh, results. It's about mood, isn't it? That's part of what the bounce factor is. And and he's he's definitely brought that. I think even um, when there's been a couple of results that haven't gone their way, there's still I think we've all still had this sort of sneaking suspicion that he's still going to have enough and that he's got enough about him to to deliver something different. Uh, and I think the way that he's organising the team um, is is very admirable. Mm. To be honest, it's uh, they, they they look like a much a much more uh, compact, solid 
unit now. Um, they're, they're particularly well equipped to play away from home, so it'll be interesting to see how they do. Um, in, you know, they've got a couple of games, a few games at home now where they could realistically win. They're not like backs to the wall games like your top six. Um, they're not away from home backs to the wall um, when we've seen their best defensive displays. And, and it will be really fascinating to see now whether coming back to St. Mary's again for Everton um, in particular and then uh, obviously Crystal Palace and Cardiff uh, on the horizon, whether in those games, whether the pressure's on them to really go out and take the game to the opposition, whether they can kind of flick a switch, as it were, and play more of that high-pressing, uh, attacking style of play. Um, because we've seen that they can definitely do it in patches, and we've seen that they can do it in for whole games when it comes to just being, you know, getting men behind the ball and being defiant. Um, so can they kind of strike that that perfect balance, I would call it, between... Uh, defensive solidity and being a goal-scoring threat. Um, I think the signs are very, very positive because the things that he's working on clearly are coming together. And actually, I must admit, now we've got to kind of, I guess at the end of this week, I feel like it's the end of the madness, mm. really, of of the, this crazy fixture schedule of, of about four weeks now. Um, actually, having the games in quite quick succession, I think in a funny kind of way, has helped Saints. Because I thought, really, it would hinder them. And it, I guess that the, the Saints might wish they didn't have them because of injuries, suspensions, um, and time to work on the training ground. But actually, it's given them no time to dwell on bad results. Because there has been some bad results in there. But they've kind of always been back hours. Whereas before, especially earlier in the season, when you had all those international breaks, it was a bad result. And then you've got two weeks to think about it and to, and to think of the negativity. And I have this feeling with the way that the mood has been, that maybe had there been a lot of that, in this period of results, we could kind of people would have started to think, oh, maybe Ralph's not the answer or maybe it's, but there's been no time for that because there's been another game. Yep. Um, and then there's been something else to talk about and then another game to focus on. So I actually think that's really in a funny kind of way, despite my, you know, thinking that that was a bad thing for Saints, actually maybe in a strange kind of way, given that the results have been, have been better, obviously improved, but still mixed. Maybe it's actually helped them. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but just a, maybe a theory there. Yeah, I don't think it will have affected the uh, stats too much. But yeah, obviously, I would have included the Cardiff game if he'd won it as well, of course. So, uh, but <laughs> obviously, <laughs> there we go. And um, look, one one thing that was interesting, Steve. Um, I'm turning into a bit of stato when I seem to do these uh, notes for the podcast. But if you look at the last six games, we've picked up ten points. That's one more than Burnley, five more points than Cardiff, Newcastle and Fulham, and nine more points than Huddersfield. So we talk about that positive momentum. But the fact is, in terms of those teams around us, we're picking up significant points on them now as well. Yeah, um, and I, th- I guess it would probably also be worth looking at the teams just above us. I mean, I've, I mean Burnley have won their last three. Yep. So they've um, they've managed to keep themselves just that little bit ahead of us. But I mean, Palace have lost some dreadful games lately. Brighton don't Brighton seem to be, seem to have far more points than their performances have deserved. I mean, the, the absolute state of Bournemouth at the moment, mm. um, they are well on the slide at the moment. Four points and, in the last six games. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's like eight of their last, eight of their last 12 or 13 mm. in total. Mm. So, I mean, they, they, they had 22 points and were fifth at one point mm. and they've only picked up another five in the last, what, two and a half months. Yeah. Um, so they're on the slide. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I don't really think much of, um, I mean, West Ham played well against us. Uh, Wolves have played well against the big teams and, and largely dreadful against the, against the, um, weaker sides. 
Um, Everton look there for the taking against anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no, there's nothing there other than other than the top you know, six ish. I still I still think um, Man United are rubbish despite today's result. Mm. Um, and Arsenal will will forever be Arsenal and completely able to Arsenal it up <laughs> against against any sort of uh, bog standard mediocre opposition. So. Um, yeah, I mean, there's only four teams left that you would say, okay, well, we're realistically probably not going to get much here. Um, anybody else? It's, well, yeah. It's there's no there's no there's nobody there that should be should be terrifying for us now. Um, particularly, it's an attitude thing. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you're right. Crystal Palace have got ten points from six games. Uh, what are we looking at? Brighton have got five points from the last six games. Um, Bournemouth, as you said, they got four from the last six. Everton have got six from the last six after winning today. But uh, again, no, no one's picking up significant points. And uh, I mean, the other thing I just wanted to, to add, just before I final question to Adam on Leicester, but to, to you, Steve, the other thing that I think all of us Saints fans are, are loving seeing is Ralph's passion as well. Not only when we scored the goals, but at the end of the game then yesterday, I mean, you could see how much it meant to him because. Because, as we've spoken about before, he's clearly putting a lot of effort into the training ground to get them organised. And a bit like we mentioned with Shane Long, it's that reward at the end of the game. So it's lovely to see a manager, and I'm not saying that we haven't had them recently, but again, a manager with a bit of passion and pride. Um, well, I'm going to go against that and say we haven't had managers that have had that. Um, I think even Claude, I mean, times. you know, to be fair no, to Claude. Claude, Claude, Claude yeah, yeah. I had absolutely no problem yeah, with. Yeah, so he was um, one I was thinking Pe- of. Pe- Pellegrino was just a bit, yeah. meh, didn't really didn't really do anything. And Hughes's passion seemed to be in um, berating referees rather yeah. than um, rather than anything else. So yeah, Claude was yes. the one I was thinking of, yeah. No, I, I had no, no problems with, I mean, you could, you could tell from celebrations in certain games and at certain moments that the passion was very much there. But he's, he is... He is the your sort of archetypal um, continental laid back thinker mm. in that he doesn't sort of rant and rave because you you run the risk of just losing your focus in that situation. Um, certain managers, that sort of shtick works. So someone like Bielsa, for example, the whole sort of being completely animated and probably using up more energy than any of your players when you're stood on the touchline during the 90 minutes, that that stuff that works for him. Mm. But People are different. And I think Ralph having kind of seems to be that sort of happy medium. I mean, I think the the whole sort of coming over to the away end on his own and sort of applauding, applauding the fan base after every game. I don't think that's necessarily him making a special effort. That's just the, the culture that he's grown up in, both mm. in Austria and Germany. That's what the that's what the head coaches do. Yeah. And that's what the team does. Um, win, lose or draw. And that's that's kind of a thing that. In this country, and you've you've only been going to games for certain period, well, for however long in this country, we've never had a culture of um, you always like go right up to the um, to the away section on the way game. Even, even if you've been gubbed six one, mm. you would it would be a very sort of timid walk over, and you might might sort of applaud from fifty yards away or something like that. But in those sort of um, parts of the world, you go right up to them and you um, you appreciate each other. Um, regardless of how good or bad it's been. Um, so I think he's just continuing that, really. He was probably shocked that we scored our first goals at Leicester since uh, 2011, I think it was. But, uh, yeah, look, I, I mean, just finally then, Adam, four points returned from Chelsea away, Leicester away. I mean, I think in any season we'd take that when we're a great return. Oh, terrific. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And um, 
that the most important thing now is is to build on this and not let not let um not let it go uh because they're in a good position now they've they've kind of they've they've earned themselves this through some really hard work let's be honest they've really tried and and fought and scrapped to to in both of the, the those games to earn what they've got and thoroughly deserve what they've got in both instances um now they've got they've got to make sure that they push forward we we can't we can't have, I don't think now, another West Ham after mm. the two wins, and then you get that West Ham. They have to, they have to make the most of this now. They have to. This could. The, the reason that it was so significant at the weekend, as I said, was was the other results, but also the chance they've given themselves because of the run of fixtures they've got now yep. to have some momentum, to have some positivity, to get a run of results together, like we're seeing Burnley doing, that actually will be enough. Given the position Saints are in now, if they can do that, it might just be enough that then, even if things went a little bit south from there, they could muddle through and stay up. Um, they can't afford now to take their foot off the gas. It has to be kind of full steam ahead for them now. I'm sure that's what Ralph will be trying to do. Um, and, uh, of course, from his point of view, he now is potentially very soon going to face some difficult uh, decisions because there are some players coming back who you would instinctively say... Yes, they come in because they improve the quality of the team. But lest we forget, these are the players that have been playing in most of the shambolic defeats that they've mm. had for the majority of the season. Um, so do you bring them back in, you know, in favour of players that have actually grafted in their absence, worked really hard and got some results? It's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks. But whatever happens, Ralph has to make sure that this, you know, this forward momentum keeps going now. Right, Steve, before we move on to our Total Recall and to preview Everton, Matt Letizia was confirmed or announced as uh, the official Saints ambassador this past week. What did you make of that decision and what do you think his uh, role will entail of him? Well, my initial reaction was, hasn't he kind of been a club ambassador for the best part of, what, 35 years? <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, bestowing like these grandiose titles on, on people, <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know, it's... Seems seems a bit of a not ne- not especially necessary sort of PR move. Mm. Um, from what the statement on the on the official site said was that he's basically going to be um, sort of the face of the club for certain sort of engagements and like thing um, things in the community. Um, sort of when his time between stints on Sky Sports allows. I mean, how how much time he actually gets between those? Um, I mean, who knows? Because you would you would assume that as well as obviously the time that he he does spend actually on TV, um, a lot of the time in between he's presumably going to be doing research because I mean it's not the done thing now to be a pundit on TV to just go on there and just speak without having actually looked into things. Um, you get you like Rio Ferdinand, for example. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you tend to get called out on those things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that was that was an extraordinary exchange, wasn't it? That it was Ferdinand. a bit bizarre. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, nobody's going to say it's a negative move. I'm sure we'll be um, throwing a few quid his way as well for for the privilege, mm. um, which is absolutely fine. Got absolutely no problem with it. Um, it just, I, I'm not sure it necessarily needed the fanfare that it, it seems to have been given. It kind of goes to redress the balance of when he was 
effectively banned by uh, Cortese back in the day. So, mm. uh, yeah, it'll be fine. But I, let's face it, within the club, it's more or less business as usual, I think. Yeah, no, it's nice that we can now say our podcast artwork has a uh, official club ambassador on it. But uh, anyway, there we go. Um, and just finally, Adam, um, we, we had a question in from one of our listeners this week, because uh, as many fans will know, there's been a lot of uh, lone players coming back to uh, the club over the last sort of... Uh, week or so for a variety of reasons so um giorgio um got uh, in touch actually on uh, twitter all right guys got a question for the pod probably mainly to adam who has been bringing the loan players back do the clubs not think they are good enough or does ralph want them back to see what they can bring to the table i'm thinking that in the case for sims he doesn't like the look of moy and wants a front three of sims ings and redders pretty pacey what do you reckon to that then adam well, I think it's a little column A, a little from column B, really. Some of them have come back um, because I think Saints have thought it's worth them coming back so Ralph can have a look. And I'm thinking particularly Jake Hesketh. Mm-hmm. Um, others have come back because they weren't playing. Um, I think Flanagan was at Burton. He's come back for that reason. I think he played one game. Uh, Sims He's permanently injured, isn't he, Flanagan? Well, I think. absolutely. Yeah, well, yes. Uh, Sims has obviously come back because he wasn't playing at Reading, which seems very strange in, in a way because he seems like such a, a you know a decent young prospect. And mm. I guess we've always had this, is he quite good enough for the Premier League or isn't he? I guess, yeah, that sort of time will tell uh, type thing. But, but I don't think we ever had any doubts that he'd be good enough, plenty good enough for a championship team. And yeah, he's, you know, the new manager there hasn't fancied him at all. Um, and I think that it's very logical that he's come back to Saints because there's no point in him sat at another club doing nothing. Yep. Um, I actually asked Ralph about the loans directly uh, last Thursday. Um, and, uh, yeah, he sort of had a bit of a joke because he, he obviously hasn't been recalling them because he said, every day I go to lunch, there seems to be another new young man uh, stood in front of me who I don't recognise saying <laughs> hello. And I, I'm like, oh, hello, um, nice to meet you. Who are you? Um, but he did say that he'd, uh, he, he did single out Sims as saying that he'd, uh, he liked what he'd seen from him in training and, and that he might actually potentially give him an option with regards to the others. Um, his thoughts were that, uh, given the transfer window is obviously open for uh, to the end of the month, that I think um, he will take a look at them over a couple of weeks in training, and then they'll make some decisions from there. Because I think if he gets to the end of that couple of weeks and they're unlikely to play, then I think he would think that it's worth them going out again. But you know, in the in the interim period for January, he he can train with them and and actually have a look. I think, as I said, Sims it, it seems to me the one that he's instantly taken a bit of a light to because I, I guess he it, you know, Ralph has spoken a lot about the way that he wants to play requiring pace um, and obviously we, as we've mentioned before bemoaned before there's not an awful lot of pace in the Saints squad but obviously Sims is a player in attacking area that can offer that um, so I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him involved against Derby potentially um, and actually them taking a, an even closer look at him but I think overall that's it it's been been some sent back um, some recalled uh, with the the uh, expectation that Ralph will have a look at them all this month and then make decisions in the last week of the window as to whether they're going to stay with the squad or go out elsewhere again. Excellent. Thanks, Adam. And uh, yeah, thanks, Giorgio, for the question.
minute to play. Here's Letizia! Who better to say farewell? Right, it's time for our total recall, albeit a slightly different one this week. Leon Burton from saintsarchive.com is with us again. Leon, how are you keeping all right? Very well, Ben, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, absolutely, yep, good to have you with us. Our total recall this week is actually not a yesteryear match, it's a yesteryear person. So if, like Leon and myself, you remember Radio Solent Sport during the uh, early to mid-90s, you'll remember the famous goal jingle that we all used to hear when there was a goal at one of the local grounds on the south coast. It used to, I think, send most of us into a a nervous disposition. But uh, if you remember that, you'll probably also remember Bruce Hornsby and the Rangers, That's Just The Way It Is, which used to play in the background at 5 o'clock on Radio Solent when the reports were about to happen. If you're still with me, then you'll probably also remember the name Grant Coleman. Grant was the sports editor at that period, and I'm delighted to say that uh, we managed to track Grant down, and he joins us on the pod now. Grant, lovely to have you with us, even reminiscing about some of those memories. It's hard to think it was 20 plus years ago. It's scary, Ben, yes, but uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it was um, some good memories, and, and the music does bring back memories. Uh, I remember the programmes very well. Who was responsible for choosing Bruce Hornsby? Was that one of your favourites, Grant, or that was just a production team, or what? Uh, it was unfortunately me. Um, yeah, I had the, uh, all the music was um, probably myself, which uh, a Genesis fan, and um, Bruce Hornsby in the range and stuff. I just like I like the musical breaks uh, and uh, thought they would add to the the impetus of the sport and the timing and the the reasons we were using them for. So yeah, I I, I liked I, I love music as well. So sport and music are my two favourite ambitions. Yeah, no, it worked perfectly, didn't it? And uh, just briefly, then uh, been living over and working over in Madrid for the Olympic Corporation since leaving the BBC. Is that right? Yeah, we um, produce the television coverage of the Olympic Games and then give it to all the host broadcasters around the world, including the BBC, obviously, in the United Kingdom. So uh, that's been a tremendous privilege to work at various Olympic Games over the last 10 years or so. It's been a real treat, to be honest. From your sort of memories of working as a sports editor, and I know you covered Saints, Cherries and that other team in blue down the road that we can't mention, but what are some of your memories of sort of working at Salem during that period for South Coast Football Grant? Fantastic, really. Uh, I have to say, really, really happy memories. Um, you know, some of the best experiences of my professional career were working with with the three clubs and also all the non-league clubs as well and other sports organisations across the, the South Coast. But I, I don't think it's the same anymore working in professional football or covering professional football. We, we were very good at getting close to the players and the managers you know we had a lot of their mobile numbers and most of the players were really really good at cooperating with us giving us interviews you know whenever we asked for it and i think that allowed us to get messages from the club to the fans and trying to create a connection between the supporters and the the footballers who played for the clubs that they loved Uh, adam and the team at solent do a fantastic job now and getting the commentaries from every game is is a fantastic experience and i'm really glad they're still able to do that Uh, and i think they are one of the best local radio stations across the uk to be honest i think many saints fans and well south coast football fans would echo that absolutely and uh, i was reading somewhere Grant. i'm not sure if this is correct because i I remember obviously when you started doing the commentaries because it took a bit of time for that to to come in and then i think it was only second half commentaries you could do to to start off with is is it right that you weren't allowed to announce until five past three which game you were going to be covering because that could affect attendances at fratton park or the dell or that sort of thing or is that just a myth 
No, it was it, many, many years ago. That was true. Um, the old radio, BBC Radio 2 commentaries had to be uh, delayed. Uh, football was very nervous about attendances on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, and as you say, in, in the old days with that goal jingle, was when we weren't doing commentaries at all. We were just doing reports from the matches throughout the games. Then we started bringing commentaries in. We were only allowed, in the, in the first few years I was there, we were only allowed to do a certain number of commentaries every year. Um, and uh, that was very restrictive. And then eventually we sort of went a bit rogue and decided to do our own individual contracts with, with the three football clubs. So um, that helped us a lot. And again, it was thanks to the clubs agreeing to give us commentary rights. So I don't know if we were the first, but we were amongst the first radio stations to actually just say to the club, look, can we have a commentary deal for the whole season? And luckily all three clubs agreed. Yeah. In the analogue era, and it again makes me feel really old to sort of say largely before mobile phones and largely before internet, we relied on you and your coverage to keep us up to speed ground. So was there quite a lot of pressure and you know, getting it right and getting it across to fans as quickly as you could in those days? <laughs> it was it was great pressure, it really was. Um, yeah, we, people won't believe what the situation was, that you couldn't get a message. You have to wait to find out football news. And yeah, we were the first to get the goals on. We were trying to always beat, we had a copy of the teleprint, which is the famous thing you can now see on all the television stations that was only usually sent to news outlets and we had that and we had to get our goals on obviously a lot quicker than that came up on the teleprinter um so yeah they would have a live line to, to the grounds the reporter would shout goal uh sophie burkhart who was my producer in the studio would just shout goal and tell me which ground it was i wouldn't be told the goal and i would play the jingle introduce the ground so there's a goal at the dell introduce john barrett or john hughes uh, and they would tell us who'd scored What's your memories of it, Leon? Because, again, Radio Silence, uh, it has grown. But, I mean, that for me, you know, growing up as a, a kid, I mean, I was 10, 15 years old then. It was listening to that on a Saturday, listening to Grant and his team was, you, you hoped that Saturdays would just come a bit faster. Yeah, the great memories to me as well, when I was a, a kid, um, listening to radio, and there's always that phrase from Grant, and there's been a goal at the Dell, and your ears would prick up, and you'd be on the edge of the seat, which way is it gone? Have we scored or the opposition scored? So, yeah, great memories. And I'm going back even further now. When I was a, a small kid, I used to listen, and probably Grant will remember his name, Morris Eccleston, Grant. Oh, yes, yeah. And I often used to listen to the radio with my reel-to-reel tape recorder, with my microphone to the tape recording and actually recording the second half of a match. So <laughs> those yeah. were the days. I mean, it wasn't a particularly quiet time either. I was, I was sort of thinking about some of the, the players, as you mentioned there, Grant, and the sort of managers. I mean, Ian Brampert was a very pivotal part of your period in, in charge of sports editors. So thinking again, as a, as a Saints fan, there was a lot of frustration and sort of restlessness around, wasn't there? So it, it wasn't like it was quite enjoyable times at the Dal. It was, again, a challenge and lots of um, frustration to try and get across. There was an incredible frustration at times. Ian's era was probably the, the hardest, but there was also a lot of unrest in, in Guy Askham and the way the club was being run as well. Mm. Um, I, I got on very well with Ian, I have to say. He was, he was always very open to trying to explain his, his reasoning and his, his tactics. Even if he didn't agree with them, he, he did want to try and explain. And I'm very grateful to him because he, he agreed to take part in the first series of uh, sports forums where we got the manager of each club to do an hour before the start of each season mm. uh, in which they had to address the fans of their club live from the, the Dell Supporters Club as it was for Southampton um, and he was very nervous about doing that but did do it so um, that was a big risk for him but um, those, that first series of sports forums I can't remember what year that was but it was many years ago and that was very exciting as well but I was determined to allow fans to speak directly to the manager it was before the season so 
um, there were a lot of questions about what you're doing and stuff and, and that was that was a great privilege to do that as well yeah and I, and I guess this day and age because of course Adam Blackmore's done one with Ralph Kruger and Mark Hughes at the start of this season and again I, I know Saints have always been slightly reluctant to do them compared to maybe Portsmouth and, and Bournemouth but I, I suppose in those days it maybe wasn't as wrapped in cotton wool as some of them are these days where managers are protected a little bit and if it's you know for example if Les Reed at that time was getting a bit of stick from the fans Adam could pass it over to Mark Hughes I suppose it was a bit more genuine questions genuine answers and it wasn't maybe uh, as much out there in the in the media then as it might be these days no it was the direct questions from the fans you know in front of the manager they could ask whatever they want we didn't we didn't ask the questions beforehand to be honest they were they were less aggressive than you would think they should be <laughs> but um uh, when fans you know get to speak to a manager right in front of them they, they still have some respect however much they dislike his tactics but no they were genuine questions uh, and he was talking about the golding i should just tell you it's it's not southampton but it's it's an interesting story mm. harry redknapp at bournemouth when he was the manager he actually suffered a very serious illness he had a car crash i don't know if you remember but was in hospital did, yeah. for many mm. months and it hadn't struck me but he was actually listening to our coverage to keep in touch of his team the team he managed bournemouth and of course he was exactly the same as we were with the goal jingle and i met him after he recovered and he said that goal jingle grant it, it did my heart in every time <laughs> I, was, I didn't know whether we'd scored or whether we'd lost <laughs> yeah. uh, and i was going oh, i'm really sorry he said no it was the best thing it was so exciting <laughs> And I suddenly thought that, you know, managers listening to a goal jingle wondering whether his side had scored or conceded. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. So, Leon, I know you were keen to ask Grant a couple of questions as well, weren't you? So please go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Ben. A couple of things, Grant. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you've been live on air? Oh, um, there have been so many. Most of them you sort of forget. Certainly the mistakes you forget very quickly. Uh, I remember we had a wireless microphone problem once. Um, some very good uh, analysts. We we were very lucky in getting lots of Saints uh, players when they were injured to join us in the commentaries. So uh, they were very good. Uh, Fanny Benali was always excellent. Jason Dodds, you know, Nick Holmes himself. Um, uh, they were good. I remember, not the funniest, but one of the nicest things, uh, Mr. Benali joined me at the Dell for, for one commentary, and as he was walking through the press box, he had a bag with him, and he brought um, a full takeaway curry for me, and said, <laughs> after you after the game, enjoy that from his restaurant duties, which I thought was really lovely of him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know there was all, always a lot of conjecture, wasn't there, Grant, about Southampton fans thinking you supported Portsmouth, and Portsmouth fans thinking you supported Southampton, so are you able to, to set the record straight? I mean, was it, was it any of those clubs? Is it someone else, or...? No, it's all the clubs. Uh, no, no, it's it's a cop out. First match I saw at the Dell was in 1973, yeah. uh, in the relegation campaign. Actually, uh, my dad took me. My dad took me to the Dell, and my schoolmates uh, took me to to Portsmouth. So uh, I've literally seen both clubs since about 1973-75, and then I started working with Bournemouth very closely as well. Um, so no, I, I love all three clubs, but I've seen probably more Southampton matches than, than any of the other clubs. And the good thing is you did let slip when we were arranging this that you're off to see Saints against Everton next week, is that right? <laughs> I am, yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot. A lot of games this season. My um, my godson is, a, is an ardent Saints fan, so yeah. fortunately or unfortunately, if you like, for the last couple of seasons, we've been to uh, St Mary's quite a lot what have you sort of made of it again it's been frustrating time for many of us because I think we know the club and we know the players can deliver a lot more so it, you know hopefully trying to get through this rocky period and there'll be some more success the other end of it Ben I think you've hit a nail on the head the, the trouble is you can see a lot more within the players and you know you can see the players who are, who are giving 100% um, and there just don't seem to be enough of them but that seems to be mirrored across football at the moment you know you see players with a lot more ability 
don't seem to be performing to the level of their ability. And, you know, I mentioned Fanny Benali there. The one thing you would see in that side was every player who went out there, you know, performed to their best. Mm. And um, I loved seeing that style of football. I know football's changed a lot, but I like seeing players who, who really who really give their all and look as though they care about the results. So mm. Romeo, I think, is a great player and he fills me with hope. Shane Long, I, lo- I like a lot. Um, I know he doesn't score the goals, and a lot of fans will be wondering why I'm saying him, but I think he stretches the opponent's defences and opens up a lot more space for the rest of the side to move into from midfield, and he runs his heart out. uh, And I think having pace up front is very, very important. So I'm a lot happier under the new manager than I was under Mark. I have to say, I think the tactics look a a lot better, and I'm I'm very hopeful that uh, we can stay up. Yeah. Just finally, sort of on the radio side, from someone that's gone through the the full journey of analogue into digital, just when you think about the capability of radio where it is now to maybe where it was 20 years ago did you ever think it could be like this or has it surpassed maybe your expectations um right at the start you'd never believed that today's uh, communication would be possible you know we didn't have mobile phones or computers as you said when we started um i love radio i love listening to radio and i think it's a, a great credit to everyone still involved at solence and, and other stations that there are still so many people listening to local radio which after all is a, is a very old-fashioned technique to do mm. you can now listen to it on your phones and stuff like that so i think it's really good that communities join together which i think is the one sadness about the modern age is that we seem to be separating into very individual communication um but radio does join us together and sports joins us together so i think that is one of the great afternoons as you say you're looking forward to saturday afternoons all week i think the community of football and the community of radio is still very very special yeah absolutely just finally, Adam Blackmore's obviously done a, a fantastic job driving Radio Solent forward. You know, some of the coverage we have, the relationship with the club, and I think as Saints fans, we do actually appreciate that in terms of local radio, we do have probably one of the best in the country and dedicated information and, and quality of service that they provide to us. Yes, I think that's important. And I think you should also remember it's not it's not just Adam, he's leading the team really well, but everyone at the station really cares about getting the messages across, getting the latest information, making sure that information is right, and giving you a sort of insight into the club, which may not be available. As you say, it's so protected now by press officers and by the club giving out the information themselves. So mm-hmm. I think it's very important to have people like Adam and his team investigating and finding out the real information and telling you the real stories. So I think it's vital. Leon, I know you had one final question for Grant. Well, you absolutely stole my thunder just now. <laughs> um, and I have to say to him, don't sit on the fence. Are you Saints, Pompey or Cherries? But he answered it and he's definitely Saints. <laughs> Fair enough. So no, we'll go with that. Just finally then, Grant, what's the immediate future planned for you in terms of what's going to be next? Still be involved in radio or do something different or what? It's open at the moment. I've just returned to the UK to restart a freelance career. I thought I was starting sort of 10 years ago, just before the Olympics asked me to join them. Uh, I'll still work at Olympic Games during the Games, but up until then and in between those, I'd love to do I'd love to do radio again if I was ever lucky enough to get that opportunity, but also I'd love to do training, um, uh, some production and things like that. Uh, I'd love to do uh, training for you know up-and-coming young journalists and broadcasters and stuff. Uh, I was very lucky in, in so far as when I started my career. There were lots of very, very good people who were very kind enough to give me free time and help in giving me advice, and I'd love to try and do that for, for the journalists of today. And I think, as I said just now, 
journalism is very important. It's, it's becoming very hard to read newspapers because they're going out of print, but I mm. think it is very, very crucial for us to keep journalists both in news and in sport alive, that we have people investigating others and don't just rely on them giving out their versions of their stories through podcasts, you know, not yours, but I mean from the politicians and their tweets. We have to have journalists investigating. We can't just rely on people telling us the truth in, in very powerful positions, and that includes sports clubs as well. Podcast. Saints podcast with Ben Stanfield, Adam Leach and Steve Grant. Sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. A massive thanks to Grant for joining us on TSP this week. It was lovely to hear his voice again. I hope it's helped a few of you, wherever you may be, reminisce somewhat. That's the whole point of Total Recall after all. Thanks also to Leon from saintsarchive.com and I apologise again for inadvertently nicking your question for Grant there, Leon. To wrap up this week's pod, we're going to look ahead to Everton next week, and briefly before that, the cut replay versus Frank Lampard's Derby County. Just briefly then, Adam, I don't want to spend ages on it because we previewed it last week, of course, but uh, just wonder what you think Ralph might do with Saints ahead of a big game with Everton. Do you think he's likely to throw uh, a few more of the kids out, or bearing in mind we've got a few coming back from injury, give them 45 minutes in that game? Honest answer, I've got to say, is that I don't know what he'll do. Uh, I thought he was going to go with a much younger team than he did at Derby last time around because that was kind of how he was shaping up and yep. then I think he sort of felt actually you know what I think it might be worth playing a senior team and so sort of had a bit of a change of heart late in the day so it's, it's hard to say really I, I, I would I, I think that the difficulty is I think there's a lot of noise at the club obviously saving the Premier League status is, is the main priority as we'd expect but I think with the draw having been relatively favourable um, not favourable for me. <laughs> I, I was going to say, yeah, lunchtime well, kick-off in Accrington. Well, somebody at the club said to me, oh, it's a good draw for us, isn't it? I said, it is for you, because you fly to games. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good draw, you have to bloody drive. I did, I did, um, think, I did think of you when it came out, but so uh, there we go. I yeah. was fuming, honestly. <laughs> I was fuming. Not helped by, of course, uh, the barrage of people saying to me, Accrington Stanley. Who are they? Who are they? <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> um, Where were you? Yeah, and I liked your tweet this week about oh, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, under thirty. We're all showing we our age. Their mum and dad. What are they talking about? It's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely true. Hello, hello. Uh, yeah, so I, t- I back to your question. Sorry, I don't quite know um, what because there's this opportunity looks like uh, to get through potentially another round, doesn't it? With with the Accrington game, um, so. In that sense, you think, oh, maybe it's worth going strong. But as I said, with the Leicester game and uh, with Everton, you just can't afford to release this momentum again. Mm. Um, the squad is thin. Yes, we know Hoiberg comes back into contention for Everton. Probably Ings if he gets through another week. Yeah. Um, but other than those two, maybe Lamina. Really, it's the same bunch of players that you're, oh, I guess, Austin as well. But it's the same bunch of players that you're relying on uh, largely. So do you stick them out again um, and risk tiring them out and then risk an Everton performance that's a bit like West Ham? Um, but the, the flip side is you're live on BBC TV. You don't yeah. really want to lose to a championship team. It's quite a hard balancing act given that the, the squad 
as I said at the weekend before the game in a tweet, I think it's a depleted squad. Well, it's depleted in terms of not in terms of overall numbers, but in terms of numbers of players that he'll actually pick from. Yeah. So it's not a depleted squad per se. But obviously, when you're not going to play some of them, then uh, then it looks smaller than it is. If it was me, I think I would give some of the younger players a game. Personally, I think I know and, and I would front up about it and just say uh, in the presser. Look, I'm going to go young. Everton's got to be the priority, but I think we've got great young players here. I need to look at them this month. I need to see them in action. This is a great chance. Tickets are cheap. Come along, see the next generation of stars, potentially. Play, you know, Ramsey. Play um, Slattery again. Play Barnes. Play Johnson. Play Sims. Uh, and give those guys a game. Then maybe a few of the other sort of fringy senior players that are sort of knocking around your Elianusis of the world. Um, but rest kind of as many as you can. Uh, that's what I think I would be inclined to do if I was him. Whether he will do or not, I don't know. But I just I just really hope that if he doesn't do that, if he does go quite senior again, which is largely going to have to be more or less the same team as we saw against Leicester, that it doesn't backfire and they don't have this flat performance against Everton. So I just feel like they're on the verge of a bit of momentum and actually... Um, haven't seen Derby. Derby are going to play a really young team again. You know that. Yeah. So I don't see what the harm is when you're at home playing some of those younger players. Or you can play Sam Gallagher as well, perhaps. Um, I should have said as well, who's obviously came on right at the end yesterday. Mm. The And the other thing I point out is in terms of a risk, yes, it's an inexperienced team, but <clears throat> don't make the mistake of thinking all of these are kids. Most of these are 19, 20, 22, 23. Yep. The, the, the fact is they need to be playing and if they're not playing at that age then they need to go somewhere else hmm. there's no good having them because we're not talking about we, we call them the kids but they're not they're not most of them are not kids they they should be if they're going to make it they should be starting to make inroads now um or or should in some cases probably have done so already given their age so if you don't trust them maybe in a game like that to at least put out a few of them then, then what future really is there for them at, at Saints? So, I th- I'm, again, I think it might be worth trying to learn something. I think that's the way I'd go, but I, I can't say for sure that's what he's going to do. Yeah, I just have visions now of Derby sort of nicking it 1-0 or something, and it's dead quiet and the itching apart from you weeping and hollering that Saints are out of the cup because you haven't got to go to Accrington. But uh, I'm sure you wouldn't do that, Adam. I know you'd maintain your professionalism. But, uh... Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> um, as for Everton then, Steve, who are next up for Saints in the, uh, the Premier League, a very winnable fixture. We've spoken about their form, but also, as we've mentioned with Saints and a bit of momentum so another decent collective performance from Saints and there's a, a really good opportunity for three points yeah I mean I've been wholly unimpressed with Everton this season they've they had the whole um I mean, they've, they've just done the Marco Marco Silva boom and bust cycle haven't they whereby they started the season well spent obviously spent an absolute fortune again this summer um and then um sort of once once people had started hyping them up um, they then just fall flat on their face. Um, I mean, they beat Bournemouth today two nil, but I mean, Bournemouth could have been out of sight in that game, and and we know, and we've obviously already discussed how bad their form's been. Yep. Um, so I mean, they they should be there for the taking. Um, I guess as Adam said, it there's a fatigue issue in play, maybe depending on who plays on Wednesday against Derby. Um, I fancy that we'll go a. A kind of a mixed, a bit of a mixed side as we did up there as well. Um, I don't think it'll be um, sort of exclusively kids. And actually, I think Derby might go um, a little bit more, a um, little bit more senior on the basis that they were so bad at Leeds on Friday night. Yeah. 
Um, but I think, I mean, Everton have got, Everton have got good attacking players and they've got dreadful defenders. Mm. Um, so if we can put in, if we can maintain the, the defensive discipline that we showed yesterday at Leicester, while also may, hopefully bringing back in um, a few of our, a few of our more effective attacking players, so if Ings is available, for example, then yeah, I see no reason why we why we can't get another win there. Steve mentioned there, Adam Everton, and a club that has spent well over what 250 million, I'd say, something like that, the last two or three years. Yet find themselves down in tenth position, not necessarily playing attractive football. I'm sure that will come back to bite me this time next week. But does it sort of reiterate that the Premier League, whilst there is a lot of money in the league, spending vast sums of money doesn't guarantee you any success whatsoever? No, it doesn't guarantee you success unless you spend um, eye-watering sums or even more eye-watering sums. In which case it guarantees you probably a measure of success in that you can probably sustain a position in the table with that. But beyond that, um, actually the key is obviously doing good business, isn't it? Getting a good manager and doing good business uh, in the transfer window. Um, And I guess to to be honest though, I don't, obviously the, the sums of money have gone, have gone bonkers and, but the game's never really been any different, has it? I'm not sure it's ever been any different than you need a good manager mm. and you need to do well in the transfer market if you haven't got quite the resources of the very, very big clubs. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure that much has, that much has changed really, but I think Everton are a, are a, you know, a reminder, I guess, that they, they probably, I'm guessing, spend the most net spend out of the best of the rest type teams over the last two or three years yep. um, combined. So, uh, yeah, there is there is no guarantee if you if you don't find the right formula in in all things at the club on and off the pitch and and yeah I mean every everything has to be right and obviously we've seen at Everton as well um, obviously when Cumin went they they kind of they had a bit of a fallout didn't they I think the director of football went as well yeah um, in the not too distant past as we've seen with Les going at Saints so it's about getting everything right isn't it for success everything in that structure and ultimately. While the football club is a business, uh, it, is, it should never be forgotten. I think it is easily forgotten in this day and age that everything depends on what those 11 guys do when they cross the white line 38 times in a in a season. And literally, there's jobs, there's livelihoods, and everything else depends just on getting that right. And so everything has to be geared towards, you know, doing the best you can with that, really. Yeah. And just finally, before we do our predictions then, Steve, Adam mentioned there... Uh, about the fact that it does feel like there's been a quite a run of games, but you mentioned also it, it feels like ages since Chelsea. I mean, it feels ages since we won against Arsenal at home. So important for Saints to try and get that win at home again, whether it's in the cup against Derby or Everton to sort of build that momentum that they're not only winning away games, but they're starting to win home games regularly as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been weird, hasn't it, the last few years that the way, I mean, I don't know whether it's just the way that the team was set up, particularly under Koeman, um, that we were just a better team, we were just better suited to playing away from home, mm. and our our record has kind of kind of illustrated that. I think. I mean, you you would always think that at home you've kind of got a little bit of home field advantage. So there's always a little bit of a skew towards towards your home record. Yeah. Um. Obviously, last season accepted. Um. But yeah, our our away performances have. I mean, just just the sort of performances, not even just not even the the results in isolation. The performances have been generally better away from home. Um, so we've got to we've got to find a way to translate that into um, 
into playing at St Mary's. And I mean, the Arsenal game was a, was a um, obviously a step in the right direction. Um, West Ham, we were clearly just absolutely knackered, and City, you came up against well, City. Um, and we didn't help ourselves in, in many respects as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the games where you're going to be judged, I think, are the games against the midly teams, the ones who are vulnerable, the ones who are obviously useful because every, every team in the Premier League can win games on, yeah. a, on, on any given day. But, um, it's being able to get the games won against the teams in and around you. And I mean, while Everton are what eight nine points ahead of us, I think, yeah, um, they're not so far ahead that we shouldn't be looking at them as as a team we could potentially rein in. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we if we went on a good run of form the the next six weeks or so. Yeah. Um, because I mean, as I, as I say, based on based on Everton's performances recently, um, they're not very good, um, and they are very beatable by pretty much anyone. I would say. And generally, their record at Saints over the years, the Dal and uh, St Mary's, I know they beat us 3-0 a few years ago when Barkley scored, but generally their uh, record against Saints, a bit like us going up there, has not been fantastic either, has it? So, uh, cool. Right, let's have um, some predictions then. Steve, we'll go with you first this week. OK, um, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with an optimistic 3-1 win. I like it. That is good. Adam Leach? Oh, you're not going to let Steve predict Derby again after his uh, rip-roaring success last time. Well, I mean, you can predict Derby if you want to, but I wasn't going to. I just want, I just want to know what the score is, because Steve seems to have a handle on this fixture. We'll just get Steve to do a one-man prediction yeah, on Derby then. So. Go for it, Steve. Uh, oh, God. 9-8 on penalties um, or something. No, um, 1-0 after extra time. Oh, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Our deadlines, if that happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't suit me either. I've got to get back to London yeah. after, after the game. So I hope it's a last minute one, just for a rewrite ads. So yeah, hundred nineteenth minute, which, which, <laughs> Thanks, which, is guys. The, which, which is the only the only shot on target in the whole game. It's, it's one, <laughs> one, one, one of those classic cup replays where yeah. every everyone once it gets to extra time, it's like, well, you bet you better hold on to this draw now and let us get to some penalties. vague excitement. Vague excitement with a penalty shootout, Hello. but no, they snatch it from you. It was like that um, that League Cup quarterfinal at Bolton year in yeah. was it 2003 when Stelios scored late on in extra time. We lost what we lost one nil, um, and it was just basically that was the only shot on target in 120 minutes, yeah. and it was just awful, and, and we still lost. Yeah, Shane Long did something similar against Norwich a couple of seasons back, didn't he? That was a dreadful game, and he poked one in right at the end. But uh, yeah, at, at least that was in that was in normal time. Yeah, yeah, yeah true, yeah, true, actually. Yeah, so uh, there we go. Steve's going for one no extra time. So what's your prediction for Everton then, Adam? Uh, what did Steve go for? He went for 3-1 to Saints. Yeah. Right, well, I'm going to go for 2-1 to Saints then. 2-1 to Saints, good. All right, I'm going to keep the momentum going with a uh, one-all draw. <laughs> <laughs> wow, just for you, this is like wild optimism. I know, I know. It's like, calm down, Ben. Thanks for listening to this episode of TSP. Your listens, feedback and comments are always very, very welcome. Thanks to Grant Coleman and Leon Burton for joining us. And as always, thanks to Adam and Steve. We'll be back next weekend to post Everton and you'll be able to catch me in the week catching up with Freddie at the Ugly Inside to preview that Everton match. Until next time, Saints fans, keep marching in.
That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you, you were different. Like you were real different. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com this podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.